Hi, I'm Paul Ellard. Welcome to Our Queen, Our Mother, the Graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In our sessions, we will be exploring the topic of the Blessed Virgin Mary and why she is important to the Christian faith. With each talk, we will try and open up and explain in simple terms the Catholic Church's teaching on the Blessed Virgin Mary. We will also include a testimony of people who have experienced her love and grace in their own lives. So welcome to the program, and let us begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Our loving God, we give you thanks and praise for the countless blessings that you pour on us daily. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of your Holy Mother. And we thank you for giving her such a beautiful gift of humility to imitate. And of course, this gift of humility is grounded in your own humility, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God who is humble. You are a God who calls us to humility, to recognize the truth in our situation, that we are creatures, and we are made in your image and likeness. But we are creatures. We need you, Lord, in every step of our lives. So we ask you, Lord, to bless us with this gift of humility and inspire us and call us to a more humble way of life, and especially as we reflect on the humility of your own dear mother. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for us. Queen of Peace, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Blessed Pope John Paul II, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're all familiar with the scriptures of Mary, how the Archangel Gabriel came to her, invited her to be the mother of God, Mary's wonderful yes. And of course, it was at that same time that the Archangel Gabriel spoke about Elizabeth, her cousin, who was also with child in her sixth month. And so immediately, Mary travels to meet Elizabeth. And of course, that beautiful line that we know so well, where Elizabeth greets Mary. Blessed are you among all women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. After she's finished praising Mary, what does Mary do? Well, she responds with that beautiful prayer that we've come to know as the Magnificat, the Canticle of Mary, as it's sometimes referred to. But before we look at that, let's just back up a little bit here and just... Sometimes it helps to put ourselves in the scripture and see how we would have reacted. We take it for granted, well, Mary went to visit Elizabeth. But really, if we were in Mary's situation, would we have done that? Mary's just been told 
that she's going to be the mother of the Messiah. And perhaps you and I might have said, well, it's a long way to Elizabeth's place. It's a very dangerous journey. There's no cars, buses. I'm just walking. Maybe the luxury of a donkey. Get lost, get caught in bad weather, get attacked by thieves. After all, I'm pregnant. I'm the mother of God. I need to pamper myself. I need to look after myself. That's a pretty, pretty normal sort of thinking. But no, that's not the way Mary thinks. Mary reaches out to her cousin. She doesn't pull rank on her, as though to speak. But she goes as a servant. And she comes selflessly to bring Jesus to Elizabeth and John the Baptist still in the womb. And of course, she continues to do that today bringing Jesus to all of us. I think it's good to have a look at this Magnificent and just open it up because we get a real sense of what humility is. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. So immediately there she acknowledges that any gifts that she may have comes from God in his goodness to her and the fact that God has saved her. Now we've mentioned this previously, but it's probably good just to mention it again. Mary's saved not because she's a sinner. Mary's been saved in a greater way through prevention, through her immaculate conception. She's been saved in a way that nobody else has been saved. Mary goes on to say, For he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on will all generations call me blessed. Now Mary acknowledges her lowliness, her littleness. She is a creature, but she says, From now on all generations will call me blessed. Now this is not pride. This is a fact. To deny that is a false humility. We have to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of false humility. God has given her a great gift. She can't deny that gift. She can't reject the gift. But she has to acknowledge it is gift. She didn't merit it. God gave it to her. Just like he does all the gifts that he gives us, we never merit them. God gives us these gifts. The Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So there she acknowledges it. God is the one who has done great things. And what's our response? Adoration. Thanksgiving. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear him. So God's action in her life is an act of mercy. He has shown might with his arm. Disperse the arrogant of mind and heart. So the opposite then to humility, full of pride, arrogance. Arrogance in our thinking. Arrogance in the way we use our affections. He has thrown down rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. You see that all the time. You look at dictators throughout history who rule with an iron fist. Sooner or later, 
they get pulled down from their thrones. And God will lift up the lowly, if not in this life, certainly in the next. The hungry he has filled with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. So that's just not talking about money or food. That's talking about spiritual wealth. There's that beautiful line I heard some months ago. There are some people who are very poor. In fact, some people are so poor that all they have is money. I love it. It really brings home that whole idea that without a rich spirituality, we are poor, we are broken, we have nothing. We fool ourselves because we have money in the bank. Back to the Magnificent. He has helped Israel, his servant, remembering his mercy. According to the promise of our fathers and to Abraham and his descendants forever. So she recalls that Old Testament connection of the promise to Abraham. And even though Israel was not faithful, God poured out his mercy and sent the Messiah to save his people. And Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned to her home. Elizabeth was six months pregnant, so Mary stayed with her for three months. So in other words, she stayed with her until the baby was born. And then that John and Elizabeth enjoy the new baby on their own. St. Alphonsus Ligore wrote this beautiful book called The Glories of Mary. And in it, he speaks about how St. Bernard teaches that humility is the foundation and guardian of virtues. For without it, no other virtue can exist in the soul. Should the soul possess all virtues, they all will depart when humility is gone. But on the other hand, and he quotes St. Francis de Sales, God so loves humility that whenever he sees it, he is immediately drawn to it. This beautiful and so necessary virtue was unknown in the world, but the Son of God himself came to earth to teach it by his own example and willed that in this virtue in particular we should endeavour to imitate him. And Mary, being the first and most perfect disciple of Jesus, in the practice of all virtues, was the first also in that of humility. And through her humility, she merited to be exalted above all other creatures. It was revealed to St. Matilda that the first virtue in which the Blessed Mother particularly exercised herself from a very young age was that of humility. The effect of humility of heart is a lowly opinion of ourselves. Mary always had a humble opinion of herself, as revealed by the same Saint Matilda. And she said that Mary saw herself enriched with greater graces than all other creatures, but she never preferred herself to anyone. So there's that beautiful balance again, the truth, yet humility. And Saint Teresa comments, that although Mary knew she had never offended God, nor was it that she did not acknowledge that she had not received greater graces from God than any other creature, for a humble heart always acknowledges the special favours of the Lord. To humble herself more, the Blessed Virgin, by a greater light, 
knew the infinite greatness and goodness of God, and also knew of her own nothingness, and therefore, more than all the others, humbled herself. St. Bernardine says that after the Son of God, no creature in the world was so exalted as Mary, because no creature in the world ever humbled itself so much as she did. What a beautiful line. The other mystic, apart from St. Matilda, that, that's worth looking at, is Venerable Mary of Agrida. And she's written this wonderful book, or series of books actually, huge volumes, called The Mystical City of God. And in it we get an insight into Satan's pride. And I think it's worth looking at because it's so easy to see ourselves in this situation. Mary of Agrita says that Satan began imperfections that were of their own, not sins, but they grew to the point whereby they led Satan to sin. And one of these was that Satan would fulfill his duty to God more out of an overwhelming sense of obligation rather than from a loving willingness to obey God. In doing that, he put himself in danger of falling. And I found that very powerful insight. And to look at my own life and say, do I do things out of obligation, or do I do them out of love for God? In a sense, we're still doing the action, the right action. But it's the reason behind and once we take love out of the equation, we put ourselves in danger. We lose our strength. So Mary Begrita says that building on these bad inclinations, Satan fell into a most disorderly self-love, which arose from being conscious of being endowed with greater gifts, greater beauty of nature and grace than any of the other inferior angels. He was captivated by this in his thinking, and he dwelt on it so that he became self-satisfied, and at the same time remiss in his gratitude due to God, failing to recognize that God was the sole cause of all the gifts that he possessed. So you see how that contrasts with Mary? Mary realizes she's been given much, and so she humbles herself and realizes that she's utterly dependent on God, and God in his mercy and goodness and grace has given her this. But Satan, on the other hand, so much identifies with these gifts, he starts to think that he deserved it or merited it, and he becomes caught up in this thinking which is self-satisfying, this dwelling on it, starting to identify with the gift. Instead of the gift calling him to gratitude, calls him to pride. Now, I think that's something we can all take on board. It's really powerful, and I think we're all guilty of doing this. We can over-identify with any gift and start thinking we deserve it, that we do all these things, when in fact it's God's goodness and mercy that gives us these gifts. Going back to Mary Margarita, she says, Satan, turning again and again in admiration towards himself, took pleasure in his own beauty and grace attributing them to himself and loving them as his own. This disorderly self-love not only caused him to exalt himself on account of the superior virtues which he had received, 
but also induced him to harbour envy and yearn greedily for other gifts which were not his own but were given to others. So we see jealousy now coming in. Then because he could not obtain these gifts, he formed a mortal hatred and indignation against God who had created him and every other creature out of nothing. And from this arose disobedience, presumption, injustice, infidelity, blasphemy, and a certain kind of idolatry towards himself rather than God. Satan failed to trust God, and he plotted to destroy all the creatures and presumed to be able to do this, and much more than his own power. Thus he grew in pride continually, although his pride is greater than his actual strength. Did you get that bit? His pride is greater than his actual strength. It's been said that Satan only has the power that we give him. There's a lot of truth in that. We see how Satan responds to his gifts, and we see how Mary responds to her gifts. One was totally lifted up, became the queen of heaven and earth. One fell down to the lowest. I just thought I'd share that with you, that insight into Satan's fall, because you can see how we do this all the time. We just look at our own lives and see how we can become puffed up with our gifts. We over-identify our gifts. We think we did it. We achieved these things. And yet it was all gift. And then we get jealous because of others who have gifts that we don't have. So indeed, humility is such an important foundational virtue. As I'm recording this, the new Pope has been elected and coming to office. So I thought it might be good just to look at the new Pope in light of this, because one of the qualities that everyone is saying is how humble is the Pope. I'm sure you may have seen the video when Pope Francis came out onto the balcony and he just gave a simple wave and a smile. And then he asked the people to pray for him and he bowed over while they did. Beautiful, humble man. And there's many, many other stories which I'm sure you've all heard about how his humility has been expressed even before he became Pope. But I wanted to share with you a, a couple of things that I read that has not been spoken about in the press so much. There was a couple of Argentinian seminarians who were studying in Rome, and in an interview they shared some insights into this wonderful man that they knew well. They said that he's a very humble and joyful man who prays a lot. In fact, he prays two hours in the morning. Ever since he became cardinal, he spends two hours a day in prayer. That's amazing. You would think perhaps it would be the opposite. Once he became cardinal, his workload was so great, he could say, well, where would he get the time to pray two hours? But you see, Pope Francis really understands the importance of prayer. In another interview, Pope Francis, before he became Pope, was recalling how in 1985 he was invited to recite the rosary with Pope John Paul II, and how in front of everyone 
Pope John Paul was on his knees and he could see the Holy Father from the back and little by little how much the Holy Father got lost in his prayer. And he talks about how in the middle of his prayer he became distracted by looking at the figure of Pope John Paul. His devotion was a witness and at the same time drifted away and began to imagine the young priest, the seminarian, the poet, the worker, the child from Vadovitsa, in the same position in which knelt at that moment reciting Hail Mary after Hail Mary. His witness struck me and he said, I felt that this man chosen to lead the church was following a path up to his mother in the sky, a path set out for him on his childhood. And I became aware of the density of the words of the mother of Guadalupe to St. Juan Diego, Do not be afraid, am I not your mother? I understood the presence of Mary in the life of the Pope. He said it was this testimony that struck him deeply, and from that time on, he decided to pray 15 decades of the rosary every day. So there you have it. Pope Francis prays 15 decades of the rosary every day. So if you want to understand how is the Pope so humble, how is he such an amazing man, the reason is he models himself on Mary and he says 15 decades of the rosary every day. And of course, I'm sure you heard what happened the following day after his election. He went to St. Mary Major Church and he took flowers and he put it at the base of the statue of Mary. And no doubt he would have consecrated his papacy to Mary. And so it's wonderful to think that we have a Pope that has such a beautiful devotion to Mary. And I'm sure the fruits of this will be revealed more and more as we get to know the Pope and we see his actions. We thank God for this wonderful Marian Pope that has been built on previous Popes and especially John Paul II. So we have a great leader to take the Church into this um, difficult period of time that awaits the world and the Church, but we enter it with great hope and with great joy because we have with us our Queen and our mother guiding the church. So thank you for being with us today, but don't go away because as usual, we will be right back with our special guest who's going to be sharing their love for our queen and our mother. Today's special guest is Sister Catherine Stone. Sister is an MGL sister, that's Missionary of God's Love. Uh, She's originally from Hobart. Last February she took her final vows. She's been involved with the MGLs now for eight years and her current role is that she looks after all the new sisters that are joining the order and currently they are based in Western Sydney. I have Sister Catherine on the phone. Welcome to the program Catherine. Thanks, Paul. Catherine, can you share something with us, please, about your faith journey and particularly how Mary has been a part of your life? Sure thing. So I guess I've been really blessed 
um, in my journey, Paul, I've always really had faith. I can't remember a time that I didn't know that God loved me and didn't try and love God in return. Very blessed with very strong Christian parents. But my mother's not a Catholic. So although I was brought up a Catholic and my father's a Catholic, practicing Catholic, my mother's actually a practicing Anglican. So a big part of my faith upbringing was quite Protestant. So although I knew of Mary and I was taught to look up to Mary as a great model of faith and humility, I was I never really had a relationship with Mary and there were I had big questions as I got older around things like why do we need to say that Mary was without sin? If Mary was without sin then couldn't she have died for us and then why was there a need for Jesus? So I had big sort of questions around why we needed to have such teachings and at the same time though I guess I wanted to believe and I wanted to understand and I wanted to think with the church. So I remember when I was about 17, I was on a um, summer school run by Disciples of Jesus and one of the seminars I chose to go to was one about Mary. And I went along because I wanted to deepen my understanding and solve some of those questions that I had and really be able to have all my heart and my mind where the church was teaching us about Mary. Now, I have to say that at that stage in my life, going to that seminar, it didn't solve the answers to my questions. But something in the experience of being in that seminar gave me a new grace to just accept Mary into my life and have a relationship with Mary as a person in my life, as, as a mother that had been given to me by Jesus and as somebody who cared about me and who I wanted to have as part of my life. And for that time in my life, it almost ceased to matter those questions that I had was like meeting the person. I didn't really care about the theology of it anymore. Since then, I guess later on, I've actually had a chance to study the theology and it makes much more sense on a rational level than it did back then of it. But the beauty of the experience for me, I think, was was just one of being able to, to know Mary as more than a figure of the past, but as somebody given to me in my life as someone that I could know and um, have a relationship with. I think for me one of the beautiful experiences of that was just before I joined the sisters, I was going through a bit of a stage in my life where I realised that I wasn't as devoted, if you like, to Mary as many other people I saw around and wondered if there was still something wrong with my faith in Mary. So I was reading Blessed Louis de Montfort's True Devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary And I was travelling overseas at the same time, travelling with a friend, and we were staying in some pretty dodgy youth hostels. So I was getting a little bit anxious just sometimes at night for our safety and that kind of thing. And I remember just one night waking up in the middle of the night and I just had a sense of a presence sitting by my bed and I felt like this presence, like it was a woman and she was stroking my hair. And in my heart, I just knew that that was Mary. It had a beautiful feeling around it of just reassurance. Like he was my mother taking care of me when I was so far from home and a little bit scared of the company that I was keeping. But not only taking care of me physically in that kind of way, but it was like she was saying, 
that my relationship with her was good enough and I didn't need to worry about whether I was devoted to her enough, but that she was there for me and that was it was all good. Mm. So I've always had a really very special feeling for Mary and I take to her the people that I most really want to hold up in prayer and ask her to look after them too because my experience is that she looks after me uh, in such a beautiful way. That's beautiful, Catherine. Can you share something perhaps about your vocation, your consecration? I know as MGLs you do a consecration to Mary. How does that pan out in your everyday spirituality and in the work that you do? As you say, as missionaries of God's love, we entrust ourselves to the Immaculate Heart of Mary when we make our vows. And we would renew that entrustment each day, Mm -hmm. Um, uh, that prayer of entrustment we make each day at evening prayer. So it's just part of our everyday is that we renew our entrustment of ourselves to Mary. For me, I guess the outworking of Mary in my life as a consecrated woman is that she's the ultimate model for me of a woman who said yes to God. She's the ultimate model for me of that humble openness to God and to the Holy Spirit and I guess she leads and guides me in that. She takes care of me in that, in my own call to that. I think I mentioned before I take to her all the people that I'm most holding up in prayer. Mm. I, I entrust the ministry that I do to her and I constantly ask her to help me, help to draw me closer to her son. Mary, I guess, was probably the closest person on earth ever to Jesus and knows him better than anyone else. And there's just an instinct in me of that she's the one to go to in growing closer in my own relationship with Jesus for help and for prayer. Catherine, there's probably a lot of people listening who can relate very much to your struggle with trying to work out how Mary fits in. And, you know, I really liked... What you said about in the end, it was just abandoning to the experience of her love, which is even beyond the intellectual understanding. Is that what you would recommend to those who are listening, perhaps who are struggling and wondering, uh, trying to work out how all these pieces fit together? Obviously, I guess you'd have to have some prayer life there, at least to start with, to be able to begin this process. Yes. Well, I guess if you talk to theologians, they talk about two types of faith. And I won't go use the Latin terms that they use, but I'll roughly translated they faith in and faith that. So, like, often we talk about faith and we think of faith as, like, an intellectual ascent of the mind to a whole lot of propositions, like that I could sign my name at the end of the creed and say, yeah, I believe all of these things, and it's all a head thing. Right. But for me, and the theologians acknowledge this too, that faith is also about faith in a person. It's about a relationship with God. And it's that relationship that really brings to life that intellectual assent to a whole lot of propositions of doctrine, if you like. And, you know, that goes, and they talk about that in terms of relationship with God and faith in God. I think that goes equally for Mary, mm-hmm. that I was trying to approach it because I'm a bit more of a head person from the head and trying to get my head around a whole lot of intellectual propositions. But faith is as much about that relationship. So faith, where Mary's concerned, is also about a relationship with a person. And it's like anybody else. I guess I know you, I can know you as a name and a whole lot of facts on a piece of paper and I can truly believe that you, Paul, exist and a whole lot of things about you that I might have been told. But 
that doesn't really mean anything to me. And I might even struggle with some of those facts, believing those facts, unless I know you as a person. Mm-hmm. And in the knowing of you as a person, those facts make sense and have a relevance and are actually become true in my life in a way that they can't if I only know them as facts on a piece of paper. Mm. Wow, that's very well explained. Thank you very much. I'm sure a lot of our listeners out there will relate to your struggle and I think you've given some really good insights in there and how to get beyond that and get into the relationship and how important it is. It's After all, it's a, a relationship with a mother and that's all about the heart. Mm. So, Catherine, thank you very much for your time today. I, I know you're very busy and you've taken time out of your schedule to speak with us. So we thank you very much. And to all our listeners, thank you very much for being with us today and hope you have enjoyed Catherine's testimony. But please join us again next time on Our Queen, Our Mother, when once again we'll look at the graces of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Radio.org.au